You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. The dark web can be like a restaurant for identity thieves. Hi, ready to order? I'll have the driver's license number. Great, that comes with a home address or a birth date. Ooh, both, please. It can be dangerously easy to steal your identity. LifeLock by Norton makes it easy to help protect yourself. If you become a victim, we'll work to fix it. No one can monitor all transactions, but everyone can save up to 25% off their first year at LifeLock.com aware. Identity theft protection starts here. Sports are easy to disagree on. Let's see what happens when sports talk hosts talk about something they agree on. No, 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 hold on. I'm saying drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Well, I disagree. I think drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. <laughs> Come on. Wait, I think we're saying the same thing. Oh, so uh, what do we do now? Everyone agrees that drivers who switch and save with Progressive could save hundreds. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings by new customer surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2020 and May 2021. Potential savings will vary. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me, your host, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books. Over on our new home at Spreaker Prime. That's right, we moved over. We, I, moved over. It's just me. (laughs) I keep talking as if I have some kind of team. It's like the royal we. You know what I mean? But I just, uh, I don't have a team. It's just me. All of my own some. It would be handy to have a team because, oh my goodness, I'm so busy. Like, I am so busy. My brain is about to melt out of my ears and drip like lumpy custard. So that's not fun. So, like, over the last month or so, I've had hosting services and partners and platforms and whatever, like, reach out to me and be like, come join us and get this special super awesome thing. And then I would ask, you know, but what actually are you offering me? Like, how does this differ to what I'm on? How is this going to benefit me more? It just didn't make sense to me. Like, why would I move if you're not going to be any better than the place I'm already on? And then I got a, a message from Spreaker, Spreaker Prime, and I keep trying to say Streaker, and I know it's bad, but I'm doing my best to not say it. Um, but if I do slip up, sorry. But when these guys contacted me, and we're having a chat, and it was like, well, let's call, we'll talk through things. And they were probably the most transparent of, like, everybody. Like, they explained exactly what they were doing, exactly what they were offering, exactly what I was supposed to do. The entire switchover, even, 
so smooth. It was like the least hassle. The only time there was an issue was when I caused it, which, you know, is fairly good. <laughs> I'm so sorry to the people that had to deal with me. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was good and I'm really, really happy where I am. It's actually working out better for me in so many different ways. Like, I, I cannot recommend this enough. And I know you're probably thinking, ah, bah, 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 she's talking nonsense because she's moved to them. But seriously, everything is easier. Everything regarding the episodes is actually clearer. It's easier for me to do. I have to, like, go and, like, retrofit stuff, go back and fix things and do stuff there. But um, I had to listen to, like, my old stuff. <laughs> so I had to go back to old episodes and listen to myself. I'm so sorry. This is why I tell everybody not to listen to the old stuff because it's not... I mean, the content is good. Like, the stuff that's coming out is good. The facts are right. It's just the presentation which is um, lacking because there are so many weird, like, pauses and weird edits I've done, which is me going... Oh, well, I'll take out the silences, but I just want to sound natural. And obviously, like, I haven't quite found my voice and how I'm going to, like, tell stories because I want it to still sound like me, but I want it to actually be coherent and for you to understand it. And I know that sometimes my accent can sort of weave in and out between sort of Irish and Scottish and some weird no-man's land in between the two. And that can be a little bit uh, peculiar and difficult for some people. See, what, something that I'd like to re-record, and I might even do it as a live, because I think that'll be quite fun if people haven't heard it, and that's the shark arm murder. Because I listened to that. I remember even listening to it afterwards, like not long after I put it up, and I'm thinking, what the fuck is wrong with me? Because all I'm doing is talking incredibly fast. Like, I actually had someone there with me that day, and I was telling them it. I was trying to be like natural and be able to explain this to a person. I was trying to work on see if that would work. And clearly that is not the case because I sound like someone physically sped me up. Like it sounds fake because I'm talking in a higher register and I'm doing it really fast. So it's, it's not great. And so like there is some stuff that I'd like to just redo. And then there are some stories like when I'm trying to put stuff together, I have a list of things to do but there's some stuff that I really want to save and do as like a live when I start doing the live tour, which I think is going to be autumn this year, actually, once I get stuff hashed out. Just a wee small one, just um, UK, Ireland, like that's kind of the, the dealio right now, maybe a wee bit of somewhere else in mainland Europe if it's, if there's, you know, demand for it if somebody wants to come see me in person because you know you want me I'll go there that's just how it works so there's stuff that I'm like oh that's so good I love I want to tell people about it because I am so impatient like I don't have patience quite a lot of the time because I just want to constantly do stuff and share stuff but there's a lot of work that has to go into it before that is an option and there are some stories that I just keep thinking oh fuck that'd be a really good live and so it's pushed to the side a wee bit. And then I've got stuff which is related to the book that I'm currently writing. And I'm like, well, I should probably wait till I'm promoting the book <laughs> to actually do that. And it's a whole thing. And I'm, and I'm consistently busy. I mean, who needs sleep? It's for the week, right? I'm kidding. Sleep. This is not, 
your mental health matters and um, sleep deprivation is a torture method. I just want to make that clear. So, you know, get your rest. But anyway, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking quit your jibber jabber. In fact, me. In fact, you I will. But first, we've got to get our source on. Our sources are American Resurrection and the 1788 New York Doctors' Riot by Caroline DaCosta and Francesca Miller. The Great Riots of New York by Joel Tyler. Snatching Bodies by Scott Nelson. The Gory New York City Riot That Shaped American Medicine by Bess Lovejoy. And of course we have our old favourites, History.com and Smithsonian.com. Are you sitting comfortably? Good. Then let's begin. Could you imagine if I did the entire podcast with this voice? Is it soothing or is it creepy as fuck? Uh, I actually had someone complain the other day because I repeat phrases from one episode to another. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of how it works. It's, you know, how I open it and how I lead on to the next section. It's just a way for the listeners to know what's coming next, especially if you've been with me for a while, like some of you have been with me for the whole hog. Yes, some of you have been with me since like the 11th episode or something, and you have been listening for yonks, then I don't really see why this person is an issue. Like, you only really notice it, I think, if you binge. Like, that's that's not a me problem, that is very much a you problem, because if, you know, if your issue is like hearing my voice say things, then maybe just don't listen to me, I feel like is just a simple solution for everybody. Uh, that being said, if you do want to rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts, it would be very helpful for me on the business end. I mean, it's helped me get this far. And honestly, and can you say so many nice things? Uh, everyone's like, well, oh, it's not for stroke of my ego. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it helps me business-wise. But I do like to hear the nice things you say because it makes me feel good and we shouldn't be ashamed to accept praise. But that's another story for another day. But anyway, to the story. 18th century America, 1788, we are, what, five years after the war, Revolutionary War, War of Independence? I forget what it's called and also I'm not great with dates most of the time. And you're probably thinking, um, you're a social scientist who specialises in history, but you're not super great on dates. I know, I know, it's a, it's a burden and a curse. But, so America, as we know it, is the equivalent of a newborn baby. And because old habits die hard, it had lots of, like, customs and traditions and beliefs, which sort of trickled down from its, you know, previous ruler, Britain. And because of this, resurrectionists and then, like, physicians by osmosis were not thought of too well back in the day. During this time, countries were, you know, pretty fucking religious, to be honest with you. And you can see this running through like the everyday lives of, you know, people in general. And one of the weird things that was passed on was the belief that dissecting the body, like doing anything to the body after death, would basically make their bodies mangled on judgment day. Like, they were worried they would get to the pearly gates and their bodies would all be, like, flubbity-flubbity, broken and cracked and just no good. And another wee theory that some of them had was that by cutting the body and sort of dissecting it and doing stuff like that, that you were actually letting the soul escape 
it wasn't being preserved so it wouldn't be able to like pass over properly. Also, in addition, furthermore, there is that sort of, again, comes from the whole religious aspect of it. The whole cloud of shame. The idea of your naked body, deceased or not, being like moved around and looked at, touched and prodded, poked, pinched, and who knows what other kind of stuff they might do to it. Like the idea is just very, ooh, I don't want anybody to see me naked. It's not gonna matter if you're dead, mate. Because here's the thing, most people don't actually want to look at dead bodies, especially naked ones. And the people that really do wanna look at that, they need therapy and some kind of hobby that keeps them away from the general public. Like an interest in ornithology, go out and look at some birds, all right? That's fun. So back in the day, we didn't really know too much about the human body, especially the inside parts. Uh, to this day, we still don't seem to know too much about women's parts, but that's neither here nor there. But back in the day especially, they didn't have a fucking clue. So they had to learn. And how do you learn? By studying bodies. So physicians, doctors, surgeons, the whole shebang, they would have to study bodies. And in order to do so, they would actually need bodies to study. So you've got a country that doesn't want anybody touching their dead bodies and you've got an entire profession that absolutely require touching dead bodies. Clearly this is a less than ideal situation to be in and you've got these guys, they really need fucking bodies. They need to get their hands on them. And generally, um, as I mentioned, I think in the body snatchers, supposed body snatchers, Barking hair episode. There were absolutely zero bodies available for dissection. Not morally, not ethically. I mean, the whole concept of ethics hadn't really been thought at that point. But morally, ethically, and most importantly, legally, there was no avenue. There was no option. Nothing. None. Unlike Britain, which did have one faintly legal supply route, and that supply came straight from the hangman's noose. The only bodies that could actually be dissected were those of criminals. But, you know, you do need to have a decent amount of criminals. America just didn't have that option. However, they did have an alternative group of people that they could... That it was perfectly acceptable to cut up and dissect and do with as they will. Enslaved people. That's right, slaves. And of course, any other non-white minorities. So that was a thing you could do. It was absolutely dandy if you wanted to dissect slaves, maybe a Native American or two, and... And in general, society would just turn a blind eye to this happening to the bodies of, you know... Irish and German immigrants at the time too. So they've got this very small, quite unreliable pool from which to choose from. So they've already got a lack of options. Considering the complete lack of cadavers, many doctors felt they had absolutely no other option but to turn to the resurrectionists. Or more accurately in this case, to become resurrectionists themselves. Okay. Resurrectionist is just a really polite way of saying 
Grave Robber and Body Snatcher. And they were such a massive problem in the 18th and 19th century that people started guarding graves. Because obviously, the fresher the body, the better. Like, it was such an issue that families would either guard the graves themselves or pay someone to do it for, you know, just long enough for they felt that the body wouldn't be worth nicking. Which is fine during, like, spring and summer. But once the colder weather hits and it's winter, like, the bodies are going to be preserved longer and it's going to be easier to steal them. Like, if you can get through the ground, you're getting the body. And so, because of the relationship with the resurrectionists and the fact they were actually physically cutting up corpses, being a doctor or a physician in this time period was seen as kind of offensive and sacrilegious and just kind of shitty. Like, it wasn't respectable. Like, it was basically barbaric. Unlike today, where being a doctor or a surgeon really puts you in, like, high esteem. At least upper middle class. You know what I mean? And in 1788, because the general public had this distrust and disdain for the entire medical profession, the students at Columbia College weren't exactly held in high regard. And at this time, you didn't actually have to graduate from a professional medical school in order to become a practicing doctor. Like, you didn't, you didn't actually need that. And Columbia College was the only medical school in New York City, but it wasn't the only place that you could study medicine. Naturally, those who could afford to would attend private, not-for-credit classes at the New York Hospital, taught by none other than Connecticut-born Dr. Richard Bailey. Bailey himself had studied in London under the incredibly famous Scottish surgeon, John Hunter. Of course, he was Scottish. All the best ones are Scottish. Which is why he was one of the popular people to study under. And part of his classes, which was a necessity, was anatomical dissection. So, cutting up cadavers. But again, hard to come by. They just didn't have enough bodies to go round. This led to some students grabbing a shovel and taking matters into their own hands, while others didn't actually want to get their hands dirty, outsourced the work to professional grave robbers. Luckily enough for the medical students, there were two graveyards relatively close to Columbia College. One of which was the pauper cemetery where like just the poor people get dumped. And across the street was the cemetery for enslaved people. And like at this time, one fifth of New York, one fifth of the population was black. And the majority of which were, and this is gonna shock you all, were enslaved people. What do you know? I know I'm surprised too. So because of their low social standing and absolutely bollocks rules at the time, slaves were only allowed to be buried outside the city limits. They weren't allowed inside. So effectively, the really, really poor, the destitute and enslaved people, they were all buried out there. I mean, at least the paupers, for the most part, got one person to a grave. Whereas in the other graveyard, they were piling in a couple of bodies to a grave at a time. So because of its proximity to the college and the fact that it was full 
and because it was filled with the people that society deemed less than, if they deemed them as people at all, that doctors and medical students and other resurrectionists were like, it's fine, this is a completely acceptable thing to do. Absolutely. Fuck off. Anyway, when it came to body snatching, the idea was the fresher, the better. Because at that point, they didn't have any kind of way to preserve an entire body. Like, that just wasn't an option for them. So, again, they really needed them fresh before decomposition sets in. Luckily for the medical students, by the time winter rolls around, nicking the corpses is pretty easy. Because as long as you're good at digging through cold, icy ground, because as we know, colder temperatures keeps things preserved longer, which means a slower rate of decomposition. That being said, the winter of 1787 leading into 1788, the medical students start really kicking the arse out of it and just are plundering a fuck ton more. Like they are stealing so many bodies from the black graveyard that they're being noticed. At one point, a group of freedmen catch them stealing bodies from the black cemetery and they're like fuck this for a game of soldiers this isn't on who on the 3rd of september 1788 petitioned the common council to basically do something about it so they complained that young gentlemen in this city who call themselves students of the physic under cover of night and the most wanton sallies of excess dig up bodies of our deceased friends and relatives of your petitioners carrying them away without respect for age or sex. What's interesting is they're not actually asking the council to like stop the body snatching and the grave robbing. All they're doing is asking that it's done with like some level of respect and dignity. What ethical and righteous action does the council do? Do they station people at the graveyards to stop the robbing from happening? Do they organise the way in which the bodies can be exhumed with dignity? Do they give the physicians and the doctors a wee slap on the wrist? No, they do. Sweet fuck all. Not a drop. Nothing. They just ignore it. Because what does it matter if they're dissecting the bodies of the poor and the disenfranchised? That's... Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not until 18 days later when it's reported that a body of a white woman is stolen from the Trinity Churchyard, that any sort of grumblings in the general populace begin. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face Off launches April 9th. 
Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. There are a few variations on how the riots actually started, most of which revolve around a group of boys playing at the New York City Hospital. In one version, one of the boys is dared to climb up a ladder and look in the window. And boys being boys, and having to prove that he is not afraid, he climbs the ladder, pokes his head in the open window of the dissection room, and a surgeon just waves a severed arm at him. In another version, the boys are playing outside and they literally see a severed arm just hanging out the window. In the most popular version, the group of young boys, they're playing outside the New York hospital, the surgeon's inside, the windows are open, and he can hear them playing, and he's just getting pissed off. And he goes, fuck this for a game of soldiers. I'm going to annoy them because they've annoyed me. And so he picks up a severed arm. He waves the arm, hand and all, at the boys, and yells at them, saying that it belongs to one of their mothers. And like, in another area, in another time, this could have just been like a your mama kind of joke. And whether the surgeon thought this was just like, a funny thing to do, or whatever, one of the boys had actually lost his mother recently. And so he is incredibly upset, because he is convinced this young boy believes that this surgeon has just waved the mutilated corpse of his mother at him. So this kid, he is sobbing and bawling. He's really fucking upset. And he legs at home. He runs all the way back to his dad. The boy gets home and he is clearly distraught. And through sobs, the young boy tells his father that the doctor waved his dead mother's arm at him. So the dad grabs a shovel and fucking legs it down to his late wife's grave and starts digging. They exhume the coffin and inside they find sweet fuck all, his wife's body, as he suspected, his late wife's body is missing. It's fucking missing. So he is past the point of mad at this stage. fucking livid. But he wasn't the only one who was mad. Most New Yorkers were not super into having, you know, the graves and bodies of their loved ones desecrated, decimated and dissected. This dude is so mad, this widower was out for blood. He wanted revenge. And he proposed that they storm the actual hospital. Luckily for him, there were more than enough volunteers who were just sick and tired of having, you know, bodies of their loved ones stolen. And soon enough, hundreds of people were marching towards the hospital. When they get to the hospital, a lot of the 
doctors and physicians and anatomists, they fucking panic. Quite a lot of the physicians freak out and try to flee, generally on foot. One guy is so scared that he literally climbs inside a chimney. Which is, I don't need to tell you, is not a good idea. Don't climb inside chimneys. No. The mob breaks into and occupies the hospital. So the mob are occupying the hospital and they just start breaking shit. They are ransacking rooms. They're smashing specimen jars. And this is even before they get to the proper anatomy room. Because when they reach the anatomy room, that is when the mob mentality really starts to bubble over. Because this is where the shit hits the fan. Because when they enter, because when they get into that room and they see what's in there, they're so angry and repulsed and revulsed and just all of it, all of the ick. Because in this room, in this room there are three bodies. Two that were sort of mid-dissection and one that was boiling in a kettle. Because there was both a female and a male body being dissected, everything was on show. And this especially, coming face to face with corpses pinned and pulled the genitalia, really, really did not sit well for these guys. Most of the doctors and medical students, they had already fled. They had fucked right off. However, some had stayed. The purpose of which was to protect, like, the pathological and anatomical specimens. Like, it was a really, really valuable collection at the time. They tried to protect them. They did not succeed. Because with everything else that they had seen and everything else that was going on, this, this mob were fucking rabid. They were dragging specimens out into the street and setting them on fire. Dr. Richard Bailey and his, I don't know, assistant, protégé, student, Wright Post. That is his name. His name is Wright Post. W-R-I-G-H-T. That kind of right, not as in write a letter or doing the right thing. So they had stayed to protect all the stuff. And the mob was obviously very mad at the people who were in charge of this whole thing, which would be Bailey and who they would have seen as his second in command, which is Post. So the mob were almost baying for blood at this point, very, very close to attacking, and they were in quite a bit of danger. So Bailey and Post, they were in what you might call, you know, mortal peril. And if it wasn't for the arrival of the New York mayor and sheriff, both the surgeon, both the surgeon, both the surgeon and his protege could have been toast. So to make sure that they were not added to the literal pyre, Mayor James Dwayne ordered that all doctors, physicians, surgeons, medical students all be escorted to the jail for their own protection. Like, they had to get locked up because it was the only safe space for them. So like, he probably thought, yeah, let's put them in the prison for their own protection. You know, keep them there overnight, it's really secure. And by morning, the mob won't be baying for blood anymore. They'll have calmed down, they'll have had their Weetabix, they'll be chilling out. Needless to say, that did not quite go to plan. Because instead of the rage, you know, 
dwindling down, dying out, the crowds dispersing. Instead of that, instead of blowing over, the mob's fury was burning brighter than ever by the next morning. This mob starts running around New York City looking for doctors, physicians, medical students, anyone that they deem to be guilty, either by their own actions or by association of the mutilation of the corpses of the people of New York City. Literally hundreds of people descend on Columbia College. And as they surround the building, their numbers grow. Their mass gets massive. There are thousands of people, thousands of really fucking angry people. Their blood is boiling and they are out for blood. The longer the crowd waits, the angrier they become. And, and who shows up? None other than former student of Columbia College, Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. His name was Alexander Hamilton. There's a million things he hasn't done. Like stop this mob, stop this mob. See, he's there on the steps outside this college. And he is begging the crowd to just disperse, to just go home, to not destroy the building. He's like, this is a place for learning. Please don't tear it to the fucking ground because that's just not cool. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but you know, you get the gist. And even Broadway's favourite rapper could not get this crowd to chill the fuck out. They end up pushing past him, shoving him out the way and making their way in anyway. So they burst through the doors and they start fucking scooby-dooing the place out. They are running around and they are searching for bodies. They are convinced that they are going to be like a fuck ton of bodies in various states of decay and dismemberment just sort of lying around the place. And they are like bursting into rooms. They are searching like the anatomical theatre, the chapel, museum, the library and... They even go into the student's bedroom because they are desperate to find something, some sign of the crime that they believe to be committed. Well, more like the crime they actually know was committed, but unluckily for them, and luckily for all those fucking students who, who were clever enough to actually remove any and all of the bodies from the building the previous night. Upon finding absolutely zero human remains in the facility, they decide they're gonna search all the doctors' homes. So they go back out in the street and they're effectively rioting again. They are going into, they're ransacking all of these physicians' houses. Like they are digging through shit. They are looking for specimens, bodies, anything that closely resembles what could be a human corpse or appendage. After finding absolutely zilch, diddly squat, they turn around and they head straight for the jail. This angry mob marches right down. So this angry mob is marching right down to the jail. So this angry mob marches right down Broadway and to the jail itself, where a bunch of quite important politicians, including Mayor Duane and the governor of New York, George Clinton, 
try to convince the crowd to just go, to leave them alone and not do shit, are desperately trying to make the crowd calm the fuck down and bugger off. Now, I'm sure you can tell that with the previous interactions that we've had with this particular group of people that that, that is probably not going to be on the cards. The mob straight up refuses to go and it gets bigger till there's roughly 5,000 of them. And this crowd starts picking up random shit. They've got rocks, they've got bricks. They literally tear apart the gallows. The gallows! The actual structure from which you hang someone. They tore that apart. They rip a fuck ton of wood off of that. Bits of bricks, bits of stone, stuff that's stuck together. Anything they can get their hands on. And they just start lugging it at them. They start attacking the jail. They're throwing rocks. They're fucking whacking people with big fucking hunks of wood. And they're like making demands and shouting shit like, Bring out your doctors! We want the doctors! Arg and boo and other shit. This is a full-scale riot. Windows are being smashed. Projectiles are coming in from all angles. Inside the jail, medical students are acting like this is a game of deadly dodgeball. They've got bricks and rocks coming at them and they're picking them up and fucking lugging them back. Like, defending themselves. They're climbing over broken glass from the windows. They're trying to escape. They're trying to fight back. It's, it's not looking good for them. One of the rioters actually makes it inside, but once he gets through the broken window, a guard just fucking kills him. He's like, nope. Naturally, this did not improve the mood of the rest of the rioters. It kind of, you know, made them worse, because of course it does. Because the situation is just getting worse and fucking worse, the governor calls in the militiamen, right? So yeah, the militia had been called in, but they were ordered not to fire. They were told just to kind of be an ominous presence. More like a warning, because, you know, prevention is always better than cure. See, that was fine up until John Jay, the Secretary of Foreign Affairs, fucked in the head with a rock. And then the Revolutionary War hero, General Baron von Steuben, got walloped with a brick. And because, you know, politicians and heroes are getting fucking smacked and whacked, the militia were absolutely like, fuck this for a game of soldiers and just started firing upon the crowd. The militia men's muskets were ready to go. So they opened fire and then just more chaos ensues. Shooting, fighting, bludgeoning, choking probably. Lots of physical brutality, resulting in at least three rioters and three militiamen losing their lives. But the death toll was supposed to have reached 20 people because a few of the mob were mortally wounded during the riots and they didn't die till a couple days later. And over the next few days, you know, it just kind of calms down. This was due to a couple of factors. One of which being that the armed militia were actively patrolling the streets. The second being that people of the city, the other being that people of the city were going around and inspecting and protecting the graves of their loved ones. You had some families taking it in turns to go and inspect the graves of their nearest and dearest. 
And some fellas decided to come together and become dead guard men. So they were like this armed group who took it upon themselves to protect the cemeteries. And while this was going on, the New York newspapers completely stopped running ads for doctors, medical classes, anything sort of medical related. They were just like, we're just not going to put that in. No advertisements for them. They just thought best not to. And with all this going on, a lot of the bigwig physicians of the city had to publish these notices saying that they had never robbed any graveyard in the city. And of course, never asked anyone else to perform such a heinous act. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's correct on a technicality because, because both Potter's Field, which was the pauper's graveyard, and what was known as the Negro's Burial Ground, they were outside. They were outside the city limits. They were, they were established officially outside the cities. So yeah, they were correct and truthful on a fucking technicality. So charges were attempted against the medical students, but nothing ever stuck. And then a grand jury investigates the riot, but there is literally no record of anyone being convicted as a result of this. Because there's a... Because there's a grand jury that investigates the riot, but nobody gets convicted. Not a one. And even though none of the students or the physicians are charged... Like, the complete disdain and disrespect for doctors in New York, well, it lingered for a good wee while, you know, years, in fact. From the very next year, these anatomy acts start being passed. Now, they're also known as bone bills, which I think is a much cooler name, and I think that's how we should refer to them. These bone bills are passed to ensure that there is a legal supply of corpses to the medical profession. No more digging up dead bodies for doctors. I mean, that's what they hoped for anyway. In 1789, the New York legislature passed an act to prevent the odious practice of digging up and removing for the purpose of dissection dead bodies interred in cemeteries or burial places. Basically, it bans grave robbing as if it wasn't already like not a thing and legally provides a supply of cadavers. Now, so this act not only banned grave robbing, but it also stated that they would be allowed to dissect criminals who had been executed for murder, arson, or burglary. Because they could be sentenced to dissection after death. That was an option when sentencing. It's like, it's like, listen here, motherfucker. I'm sentencing you to dissection after death. Meaning that if somehow scum like you manages to make their way to the pearly gates on judgment day, you're not going to get through because your body going to be in bits. Which is, I know, feels a wee bit petty, but that's neither here nor there. Now, in theory, this is a good idea. But again, too many doctors, not enough bodies. And like... Did they expect doctors to literally be lining up beside the gallows with a scalpel in hand like, I'm ready. I mean, I feel like that's like a wee bit traumatising for the people about to meet their maker. Imagine being sentenced to death and you're on the gallows. They're about to put like the noose around you. And what do you see but a bunch of fucking doctors 
lining up the scalpel in hand, ready to fight each other so they can cut up your body when they're done. Like, ready to fight each other so that... Ready to fight each other so that they... Ready to fight each other for the opportunity to cut up your corpse after a short drop and a sudden stop. Like, that feels unnecessarily traumatising. Because I'm feeling if you stole a wee bit of gold or you burnt down a barn or something, I feel like a bit harsh. But anyway, needless. So yeah, while this was great in theory, back in the land of reality, there's still not enough bodies to go round. It's all supply and demand. And at this point, most places just turned to resurrectionists, like they would not go down to the graves themselves to do it anymore, like it wasn't worth the risk. So they needed the bodies, but they had to be careful about it. Basically, everybody starts paying resurrectionists. They were at least trying to be discreet, you know? But here's the thing. Scandals related to dissecting bodies and grave robbing, they continued up until, like, the 20th century, before they sort of disappeared into the ether. Because, like, at one point, because it got to the point where people just started donating their bodies to medical science and there was so much people already knew because of the previous dissections and stuff. So they weren't really needed as much. The supply, the demand was much lower, you know? So the billbones weren't the only things to come out of the doctor's riots in the States because they also led to the earliest medical licensing system in the colonies. Meaning that if you wanted to be a doctor, then you had to get an apprenticeship with a respected physician or attend two years of medical school. On top of this, you had to pass this rigorous government exam. Meaning that you couldn't just go to a school for a couple of years and be like, I'm a doctor now. You had to actually pass an exam because you didn't have to do that before. There was no real criteria other than learn some shit and then put up your sign. And as a general rule, I feel like if anyone's going to be practicing medicine, being able to pass an exam about practicing medicine is generally a good idea. That, my friends, was the 1788 Doctor's Riot. What have we learned today? We learned that being a doctor in the 18th century was pretty fucking easy if you had enough money to do so. We also learned that pranks are not cool and that waving severed appendages to small children, generally not a good idea. I feel like these are standard things we should know, but we also learned that even though modern medicine isn't exactly perfect, it's, it's definitely a lot better than it was in the 18th century. You know what, after that, I definitely think it's recommendation time. So for reading, I'm gonna recommend Forgotten Bastards of the Eastern Front, an Untold Story of World War II by Sergei Plochi. I feel like I've pronounced that name wrong, but I'm sure someone will be able to correct me at some point. So read that. For watching, I am going to recommend... What have I watched recently? For watching, Flight Attendant Season 2 is out. I I love Kaylee Coco. She's, she's so awesome. And I love her weird 70s hair. I just I vibe with it, you know? I also like an interesting plot test with it. I also like TV shows that have flawed... Also quite a fan of TV shows that have flawed central characters. And for listening, I've been listening to the podcast Art of History by Amanda Mata. The latest episode, The Man and His Muse, absolutely loved it. 
So if you're into that sort of thing, go check it out. And before I go, if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, feel free to rate and review five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that jazz. And if you want to have we chat or talk or send me a message or anything, you want to recommend stuff, you can catch me on all the socials. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, everything. Links are in the description down below. And with that, I shall bid you adieu. Adieu. And with that, I shall take my leave of you. Adios, au revoir, au revoir, my friends. Bye-bye. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a historian, professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that provides a complete overview of U.S. history through storytelling, yet keeps the rigor you'd expect in a university class. Starting with 22-year-old George Washington in his first battle, join me for a chronological telling of the United States' story, its unlikely revolution, fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way through the progressive era. Find History That Doesn't Suck wherever you get your podcasts.